Ooh, welcome, Mike, to one of the most popular podcasts on the internet. Now we have uh, we're coming off our most popular video, and that's like a thousand views, yeah, a thousand and like thirty-two views. That was big. That was a big jump up out of nowhere. You know what it is? It's really, I think, the fact that our initial subset of viewers. They got a shit ton of friends because we asked, we said, if you think that this mm. podcast can drive value for someone in your life, send it to them. And people must have just been spreading. It. That's what we ask. We, yeah. we remember to start the episode off with that. If you enjoy the video, if you have creator friends out there, if you have anyone that you think this would benefit in their lives, please share the episode, podcast, video, whatever. Yeah, uh, we had. I feel like we had been consistently doing like 250, 300 views, and then all of a sudden last week's got over a thousand. Mm. And I had, a, I, I guess, starting off the episode telling people to share was, I guess, a, a good start. We also had like the new thumbnail, yep, which could have adapted to it. I put out a, a pretty sizable portion of videos out on Twitter, which might have uh, rung a few bells there. So I think it was a, a culmination of a bunch of different things. I didn't, I don't know if I checked TikTok to see if we had some some push or momentum on there it feels like the videos are kind of a little bit dry on there right now yeah yeah uh no credit goes to you for the twitter stuff i think like anything the more you talk about it the more opportunity it has i think it was it was just that's the correct way to, to do it is like get a good thumbnail with a with a good title have both of us promote it and and then encourage everyone to like subscribe i wonder if there was there anyone that shared it like randomly that had like a big following and that pushed in like a couple hundred people? Mm, that's a good question. Because I don't I, know. Yeah, because it feels know. like the jump was pretty substantial. I don't yeah. know. It was like 5X normal, right? Yeah. If it went from like 200 to like 600 or 700, yeah. I'd be like, okay, maybe there was just, it was just the culmination. But it feels Someone, like there had to have been something that like pushed it. We got a couple retweets, but not from anyone like sizable, I don't think. Damn, we're we're gonna, builders. Whoever did that is going to take that person. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But right. we're, Builder, we're building it. Builders yeah. build. Yeah, builders, builders build. Builders build. I wanted to circle back on something we didn't even really talk about last week, but you were like, I'm turning your notifications on for Twitter because mm. you, at first you were like, because you, you tweet well, but then you're just like, you just don't tweet at all. Yeah. And I find myself, when I follow someone on Twitter, um, <laughs> The over-under on me muting them after I follow them, I'd put out like six and a half days. Like I usually give them a week because the platform I feel like has become just like a sales pitch for right. a lot of people. You know, it's almost like TV where it's just commercials for yeah. for everything. And I, I never wanted to become that person. I very, very rarely, like you'll never really see me push towards like fantasy videos or anything, but I have been doing it for big content more. But I think there's like, I guess I wanted to dive into your mind of like how you act on that platform as opposed to like other platforms uh, like you're promoting underdog a lot mm -hmm. on on twitter you're promoting you know whatever else you got going on there do you do you ever like consciously think about the breakup between like pushing stuff and then like value on the platform yeah so i think what i've gone through the last few months and it's funny i actually don't promote underdog a ton on twitter like we promote it 10 times more on snap and and other places in discord stuff like that recently i've been just promoting like what i'm taking because i want everyone who like i was i was like hot so people are like where are your picks where are your pick you know and i just want them to to know they'll be able to find them on twitter find them wherever it's pretty simple for me. It's like if what I'm putting out is going to be valuable to them, then I don't then I don't think of it as a sales pitch. So if you're putting a clip that is genuinely like this 2-minute clip will drive value to one person, then then I'm cool with posting it. But we don't do like any real brand deals on Twitter for the like hashtag sponsored, hashtag ad. It's all like our partners and and just sharing stuff that we're organic. You know, I don't doing. think I've ever like put that in any sponsor post we've ever done. Like I've never done like a sponsored hashtag ad or half chat. I was sponsor. I was talking to um, Jordan Gold last night, and he was like, "Do you follow uh, the guidelines for this stuff on like very heavily branded stuff?" I will, but if it's a partner, I don't know like the true intricacies of it. If I would tweet about what I'm taking on underdog tonight. Anyways, it's like, do I really need to label it as an ad? Because it's not. That's it's, the way I, I frame it to myself. <laughs> right. You I'm like, it's not an ad because I'd be doing this shit anyways, even <laughs> though I, I'm getting paid for it. No, but it, it is true. It's like if I post eating McDonald's one night, it's like it's not an ad. 
So if I post that I'm doing yeah, now, but, if the, but then if they paid you to do it, then it is. But did they pay me to do that? Because we don't have like a set, you know, of deliverables that I have to do for underdog. They're pretty much just like, yeah, just like do your thing. So I don't know. Is it an ad? Is it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I we've just never done it before. There so, is a there is a button on YouTube now. Yeah, that says uh, is there paid product yeah, yeah. placement or whatever. And I've told my guys now we actually check that off on every video, every regardless. Month. There was a period in time where some creators that I know in my space yeah. started getting like big strikes yeah. against their channel because they didn't have that checked off. And I was like, I'd rather just all it does is add like a tiny little box like in the yeah, top left or bottom. It says, yeah. yeah, we did it. We we just launched a partnership with Commonwealth. They're a fractional horse ownership platform. Incredible. You can you can invest fractionally in horses. They're adding golfers. So we did a video. The video was barely about them, but we you know we were with them we talked about them a little we'll do some deeper stuff with them at like Kentucky Derby actually on Monday we're flying down to Oxcala Florida and on Tuesday we're going to a horse combine slash auction so we're going to be with them scouting horses buying horses that they'll then put on their platform they've had a crazy run that when they started the platform they bought like three or so horses. One of them, I went to that race in Miami. It won, and it's running. How the fuck do you find out about stuff Wait, like this? Wait, it's running in the derby. Like, they, talk about, like, early success. Like, they found, you know, one horse, and it's one of the favorites in the Kentucky Derby. So we're going to go down, shoot content with them, and, and invest in some of their horses, which is cool. How much you got to invest to like get a fractional piece of the horse? It's fifty bucks a share, so you could just get one piece. I, I think it's <laughs> how many shares of a horse are there? I think so. That horse right now is probably worth a few million bucks. If Jeez. it if it wins the Derby, it's worth twenty five million. If a horse wins the Derby, yeah. it's worth. Is that and you know standard? why? You know why? I know why. No, I know. No, I would. There's. Oh, you don't know about. There's what? a million things I would rather buy. No, twenty five million dollars. Do you know what makes that horse valuable? Um. No, I have no idea. It's sperm. It's sperm. Yeah. So the so the they'll win like I don't know. The purse could be half a million or a million bucks, but that thing will will go at it for years. And it's like if you win one of the triple crown races, you you've struck gold. That's it's, insane. Yeah. So we're gonna like cover. We we want to teach people like that in a creative, entertaining way because it is fascinating. It's a cool like, story. Yeah. Yeah. Like how how. This, you know, it's like this almost secret society of these horse scouts. I feel like if you started a video off with that hook that you just like got me with, yeah. that would be incredible. Like, like if you win like the trying Kentucky to Derby find the million dollar million. sperm. Let me tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this horse's sperm is worth 25 mil. Yeah. How do how, it's a good question. How do we get in those conversations? Like, how do we even find it? You know, I'm so deep in it that I just like. So deep in the sperm in the horse sp- game. <laughs> yeah, I'm so deep in the <laughs> horse sperm ass. game. <laughs> no, I think it's a, you know, this connection was originally from Alex's brother's colleague at Snap, and they connected me. You know, it's like the anti you. Yeah. Like, we just network our ass off. I'm not an aggressive networker. We'll talk about my week in L.A. where I, I finally did network for, like, the first time. But I think networking is, like, a, not a nasty word, but we've talked about it before. Like, if you're aggressively trying to get something from someone, that's not going to be a positive relationship. They invited us to Miami. We went down. We, like, wanted to see what they were about. It was really cool because they brought, like, 40 people who owned – you know, shares a mage and mage won the race. And so just trying and like seeing what they're about and then, you know, creating something organic out of it. Yeah. Once again, not a hashtag ad (laughs) partnership. Damn. You did hit our first sponsored ad on this podcast. (laughs) Speaking of, yeah, let's, let's talk about the new partnership that we have internally. You're the, you sourced it. Which one? What do you mean? What do you think I was referring to? Well, you said internally. Yeah. BDG. What's the partnership? Oh, BDG's partnership. Yeah. Yeah. I broke the news. You broke the news. Yeah. We're bike. We're bike, baby. <laughs> My friend loved that. He he was like, I wish you did like, he was like, I wish you printed out a piece of paper that said like, we're bike on it with like the underdog logo and yeah. it like came through the printer or something. Yeah. Wait, what did, what did you think I was referring to? No. When you said our partnership, I thought um, you meant like, you know, now that we have a thousand views per video that like the, you know, the sponsors are coming uh, in. And we've got to like be selective now. We've got to walk through like <laughs> yeah. how we select which ones. Yeah. 
Yeah. Are they a sponsor of this podcast now? Who? Underdog. Uh, I mean, if they send me a retro sign, then you know, <laughs> right, technically, that's yeah. That's like, all, it's so funny working with partners, depending on who I'm working with, like the bar that they need to, you know, raise in order for me to like promote them. Like Underdog, literally, if they just, even even if we weren't working with them on like the financial basis we are now, they just sent me a cool sign. I'd be like, hell yeah, I'll put yeah. it in the background for no, no reason. Um, yeah, so basically we had worked with uh i mean we 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 have a long history with underdog going back to when they were draft from like four or five years ago they were they were my personal like first big partnership that i ever affiliated with as a creator and basically what i like to do with our business is have one big partnership each year that we focus on and is a big financial driver for us rather than what I found is like I, I don't like doing a lot of like one-off individual sponsored mm-hmm. partnerships because it, it almost feels like the energy and creativeness and like all this stuff that you got to shift from this brand to this brand to this brand is like kind of it's not I feel like it's almost not worth it I'd rather put all our energy and like have a, a lot of connection between everything that you're promoting for a long period of time mm-hmm. so what we'll do is try to sign one deal with one player within the space that wants to like really invest into us. And we did that with underdog. Uh, we did that with monkey knife fight one year. We did it with prize picks was our internal big partner for this, you know, previous year, mo- most of 2022. And now we've signed back with underdog and we are uh, with these big deals, like the bigger, the financial deal, typically they'll ask for exclusivity depending on what they're legally looked at or what they're legally you know what what they are as a company in terms of like like underdog is a dfs platform right Mm -hmm. and there are other companies that operate as like we have a we have a partnership with a company called mojo and they are legally a sports book so they don't really overlap typically when we're signing with a brand like underdog they'll say hey you're exclusive to us as a dfs partner so that kind of limits us from working with you know a company like prize picks and they are they're, those two companies are, are kind of like competitors in the space. So it makes sense. It's like, listen, we're investing a lot of money into you. We don't want you to promote mm-hmm. our, our our competitor or whatever. Um, so we're back with Underdog, and uh, I'm excited. Let me, let me ask you something because yeah. we talked about value, right, and how I don't mind tweeting out my Underdog slips because people want to see what I'm taking. That's value. I don't mind retweeting when you put out a clip for this podcast because I feel like it's it's driving value. When you think about exclusivity in this category, there's plenty of arguments that go, is it the best value, right? Like expected value or or you could be doing like a same game parlay at a different sports book or you could be playing different games. Like how do you think about that? What is your angle to the market? In terms of when we're deciding what deals to sign? Like, so I'll just give you an example. Um, I don't, I don't say I'm playing on underdog to make like money. I'm not trying to be like a profitable <laughs> player, which, you know, you know, you don't have I'm to try s- for you to not. I was going to say, I, I was waiting for the joke, but gotcha. my point is I like playing on the platform. I have fun playing on the platform. And for I, for that think, reason, you don't have to put hashtag ad <laughs> for that. Exactly. Anyways, yeah. But, but if you're a profitable person, right? Like Pat McAfee, right? If his whole bit, was I'm going to we're going to make money this football season and then he plays the uh, same game parlay right and it's plus 600 but on DraftKings it's plus 700 how do you communicate that to your audience to say you should be playing on FanDuel Mm -hmm. as opposed to DraftKings when really you should just be playing the better odds okay yeah that I feel like I have a a lot of experience with this in particular especially with a platform like underdog because when I first started playing on underdog there weren't like I mean underdog has taken on a life of its own on on Twitter especially right it is a brand it is almost like borderline a lifestyle when it hits the summer right you know (laughs) you have a lot of like really big time influencers that are that are using it and promoting it all the time just because they like the platform when I started doing drafts on their platform it was not, it, I, I didn't get on there like, hey, I want to win the fucking BBM. Hey, I want to win the Millie. Hey, I want to do this. It was more so like, this is a cool fantasy platform yeah. that's really well done. The UX is nice and all the drafts are paid. Even if they're a dollar, that means people are taking them seriously. Mm-hmm. So you're getting an actual look at where people like players, where the trends are for moving up and down. And to this day, even though I think the sentiment around underdog has shifted dramatically because the they have a lot of tournament offerings and people are on there really trying to win money to this day. I 
I don't like enter those contests. I'm yeah. not going into there being like, oh, I'm going to see if I could win 100K, see if mm-hmm. I can win a million, three million, whatever it is. I still communicate to my audience like I I do underdog drafts because it's really good content for you guys and it's a way for me to stay on top of the ADPs, a way for me to right. stay on top of the trends and stuff. So I never get on there and I'm like, I'm going sh- to show you like the best strategies for best ball specifically. Yeah. I like reverse engineer it to what my content already is. Like I don't look at it as best ball. You won't see me putting like uh, in, in the titles like best ball streams or whatever, like underdog right. best ball streams. It's more like fantasy football mock draft, fantasy football draft, preparing, you know, preparing you for this stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of the way uh, I look at it. I think it's a very conscious effort to make sure that you're communicating correctly to your audience, like what value they're getting from it. And what we have in our contract, we do have a lot of deliverables for mm-hmm. them. One of them is doing three best ball streams a week. And I actually wanted to talk to you about this to see if you uh, want to do it because we have we have to do a lot of them, like each week, three of them. And what? It's just funny. Like, we got to do a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, Yo, you wanna you wanna hop on? Well, yeah, I want to see if you want to do it because yeah. I wanted to like diversify nah, the, the content. You know? No, I saw you doing it. Did you do one Mason or did you do a stream with already? Oh, well, I've done those with with like Mason and other creators yeah. for like rookie drafts, but we gotcha. have to do like three underdog best ball streams now gotcha. and. Um, and I wanted to diversify it because I'll do one by myself, which are usually the most popular ones on the channel. But like, I also, I, I don't know if I personally want to do three a week on top of like three or four videos I'm making already. I want to like get other people involved with it. So I thought I actually reached out to Pete and I was like, you want to do a weekly one with me, like mm-hmm. you, me and, and Jack, you know, to get on the stream, whatever. And the last two days, basically me, Tony and sexy have done two streams in mm-hmm. the last two days. And I've been like, I want each of you guys to host one of the streams. You guys, like, take over. Like, you're going to make the thumbnail. You're going to set up everything logistically. You're going to, like, talk through the draft and everything. Mm. Like, you will play the host. Like, Tony has one day. Sexy has another day. And I was like, I'm going to get you guys a promo code that you have, you know, for your own name or whatever. And then based on how many signups you get, like, you're going to get a cut at the end of the month. Nice. Based on it. And... And they're obviously very new to making content. Like, they've made content on TikTok before, but I'm trying to get in their head, like, TikTok and YouTube are different mindsets. Like yeah. we don't prepare for our TikTok content. You know what I mean? Like we just kind of sit down and play the games or like we take clips from YouTube or whatever. So it's not like this big prep process, but I'm like, when you come to YouTube, people are expecting to get a lot of value from you. They're, mm-hmm. they're expecting to be able to like hang out with you for an hour and learn something as, as you're like doing the stream and stuff. Obviously they want to fuck around and, you know, entertain and whatever. But I'm like, you have to understand that when you are, pitching if you want like you have a promo code but that doesn't mean people are just going to sign up for it right like we're going to look at the numbers and you either did a good job laying out the stream and and giving value and people will sign up for that but you also have to remember like when you are pushing a code you when you are getting people to sign up for another platform your only mindset in the same way that you have to think of it this way with content say like how am i giving value you have to convince the audience why, like, why do they want to sign up for the platform? Mm-hmm. Like, you can say, like, oh, all these great things about the platform, but at the end of the day, you're trying to convey to them, like, a feeling of, like, where do they get after they have signed up for your platform and they're using it? Like, how did that improve their life, you know? Mm-hmm. It could be, like, oh, the, uh, the underdog UX is awesome. Like, that doesn't actually improve <laughs> anybody's life. But yeah. if I'm saying, like, hey... You know, you do two of these drafts a week with us. You uh, you're going to be really prepared for your season long draft when that right. comes around. So you have to like shift the mindset of how am I pitching it to the fact that they're like, oh damn, that is that will improve my life. Actually, you know what I mean. And I'm yeah. trying to like get Tony and Sexy as guys who are not re- in my mind. They're not creators, right? They're yeah. in here doing like a lot of editing work and stuff. And I'm trying to like build a foundation of not just like be a good creator, but also I think one of the things that's made me really successful as an individual creator is that I'm actually very good at selling. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm a very good salesman when I get on camera, and I think that's a really underrated part of building a business around, you know, media. It's everything. Every, every entrepreneur, every creator needs to be really good at selling, and part of being really good at selling is making you feel like you're not selling, right? You Because no one wants to be sold at the end of the day unless you're going in for to buy a car. But I, I think another good example, just to be clear on how you sell. So we've worked with TickPick and we've worked with SeatGeek. TickPick is the best pricing in the market. So when I go and I say TickPick has the cheapest tickets because they have no fees, that's a very easy sell to my audience. So how do I then go move to SeatGeek, right, and still genuinely sell SeatGeek? It's it's from a completely different angle. Yes, we have a $20 off code uh, when we're working with them, but 
by working with SeatGeek, they empower our content, which entertains people. They give us access, which up-levels our content. So it is a slight shift from here's the best platform to use to if you guys use SeatGeek, we're going to continue to be able to put out really good content, and you're supporting us. It's it's a completely different angle, but that is like we're very aware of how we're selling that thing. I also think it's important to... Like in that situation, I think what would be helpful to creators that are newly working with brands would actually be to, because it's interesting, because if you say, you know, this one clearly has the lowest prices, yeah. no doubt about it, it would help you a lot to actually go to that second brand that does not have the lowest prices and say, you know, hey, what is your guys' value prop? Right. Like, what is your differentiator here? Because as a creator, I don't see it, but you guys know your own business and like, I don't know if like talking points is the right word to go about it because mm -hmm. a lot of brands will give you talking points, but it feels very robotic that way. Right. I would go to them and really ask like, what do you feel is like the differentiator within your company that would help me feel like I'm not selling? Like what is it? Yeah. Is it, you know, better customer service, you know, whatever the case and, may be. And if you're a new creator and you're at this time where you're taking on your first brand deals, the angle might be support use this company because they're supporting me. And they, like, I use that very early on with yeah. Gillette and some of our, and Puma, like our first sponsors, I didn't think Puma had the coolest basketball shoes in the world, but I knew that like, if my audience respected my content and wanted to see me grow, that is something I had to do at the time. And, and it's not like Puma's like a shady, you know, yeah, website. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, they're still a, a blue chip brand. But you just have to figure out what that angle is. And I'm very transparent about that. Uh, like Commonwealth for us, they're a cool platform to me. And they're going to let us create some really cool content. That's why we want people to go sign up. But I asked them, I said, what does our code do? And it didn't do anything, right? They're just That's just for attribution. I said, well, can we get a deposit bonus? Can we get, you know, we've talked about collabing on pins or whatever it might be. There should be a reason, right? If we're selling the platform, if we're saying this is a really cool place to invest, but what if you start working with them? What if you start working with them? Now what's the angle? Um, and and everything needs to have value to it. Yeah, and I think a lot of it can be intrinsic. Like you can also look at uh, like why it is that you actually want to work with them. You know what I mean? And then you don't really have to look much further than that because there's something subconsciously that makes you – like really fuck with the platform or the brand or the company or whatever. And a lot of times you can just convey that message to uh, your audience. Like, especially if you really, really like the product, you know, like I, I always, uh, we worked with Felix Gray for a long time, the blue light blocking glasses, mm -hmm. and they were a company that I used personally. So for me, it was so easy to sell them. Cause I'm like, I actually believe in the product that I'm using. Yeah. And here are like the three reasons why here, here are the three reasons that it's actually like improved my life. And if I just pitch that to you over and over again, you're like, it probably fucking will improve my life. You <laughs> yeah, know, and then you'll yeah. have no choice, but to really yeah. dive in and sign up for it. So I think being a salesman is something that I've been thinking a lot about recently because as we're looking to bring on a new creator or two, for a long time I've been hesitant to do it. Like I don't love outsourcing content because most of our brand is built off of my face and my content. Mm -hmm. But I've realized like the reason that I don't like outsourcing is not because there aren't good creators out there or not because there aren't charismatic people or because their research isn't as good as me for fantasy mm -hmm. or whatever. There are a ton of people that do it just as well. I've realized that it's because there aren't a lot of people that are good at selling, yeah. you know? So to put someone out there for them to take a large space of the content that we create, right? You have a finite like number of slots of piece of content, right? Mm -hmm. Say you make like five videos a week or whatever, you might need four of them to be videos in which you sell or pitch yeah. within them, right? And it'd be cool for me to outsource, and I could rip through that. If I did five videos, I could sell in all five of them and probably be successful doing so. But if I outsource like three of them or two of them to a new creator and they're not good at selling, like that begs the question like, okay, did, did my, did our, and I don't like look at it from a sales standpoint necessarily, but if you do want to outsource, you have to start thinking about these things. I'm like, does our revenue now go down 40%, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you start bringing on a new creator and you put them on like Snapchat or you put them on like one of your po popular platforms mm -hmm. and you are banking on a comp uh, as a company on like the revenue from underdog signups and you're like, this person's not really that good at like selling the picks or whatever mm -hmm. it is, like kind of becomes a problem, even if they are good at creating content, you know? So that's just yeah, that's just something I've been thinking about a little bit more as we as we do try to outsource content. I think it's the most misunderstood part of of content creation, and I don't 
think that this is necessarily like a, a animal and Ike thing, but I think this is the, the core of what people were missing. The content was fantastic. The viewership was awesome. The followers grown were awesome. But like how you were monetizing that didn't really make sense to have, you know, maybe as much time and attention put on there. Whose fault that deserves to be? It's always yours. You're the leader of the company. 100%. Uh, but yeah, it's like there's certain companies that can just do awareness plays and and just being in the the world is is fine for them. Like Barstool has reached a point where they can just create content. Like they can send Frank the Tank to a game and he doesn't have to be selling anything. It doesn't have to be in partnership, but just having more people know who he is. But if he can't sell on the back end, sell his podcast, get people to listen. If he can't get people to, you know, download Game Time who they work with, like yeah, then then you're just creating views. Views mean nothing. <coughs> views views mean nothing at well, the that, end. Well, that's of the what day. I'm thinking. Like, for example, at Barstool, right? Like, they all their creators have you know a two year contract, whatever it is, yeah. right? And at the end of the year, or at the end of the two years, they look back at the content they made and they probably say like, "Where do you rank amongst the podcasts within our network?" Right. And maybe that has some push to it, but at the same time, I guarantee if someone say they have uh, 50 podcasts in yeah. their network, right? And there was a podcast that ranked like 38th. Mm -hmm. You're not like overly excited about that. But if they have a passionate, loyal fan base and this creator has gone out of their way to be like, oh, we brought two sponsors on yeah. and we're converting at like a 5% clip on, you know, our viewership to our, you know, our promo code, whatever. And we've created all this and we've sold a lot of merch and whatever. Yeah. That is way more important than just being like number 16 on that list, yeah. you know, like being able to convert because it says more about like the passion of your fan base and it probably means you're charismatic and it probably means you're you know someone that like relates to the audience mm -hmm. and that typically plays itself out over the long run which is why i think we've was why I, I think i like as an individual creator i had success with very small numbers you know mm -hmm. like we were I, I was i was making a, a a large amount of money when our subscriber base was like ten thousand. Yeah. you know because i was able to convert at a very high percentage of those people yeah so i don't know i don't remember why i got onto that we're just talking about brand partners and, you know, that's, I'll, I'll give you, so I was out in LA last week for our Snapback Agency offsite. So Snapback Sports is the media company I run. Snapback Agency is what I co-founded with Alex Scheinman and we represent sports, the next gen talent of sports, cre of, I should know our mission. We just <laughs> went through it, but it was cool. We, we finally dialed in on what the agency does because for the last year we've had we had tremendous success we signed some big clients we did a lot of revenue for them and you know we made some money along the way but then you take a step back and it's like what do we offer that other agencies don't alex and i are super well connected in the sports space and the angle of me being a creator and understanding what our creators want. So those were kind of like our two things that I guess differentiate, but still it's like, it's like an agency for creators by creators. That That's yeah. pretty much the tag. So, but there's others like that. Yeah. And, you know, we met with someone from WME and like WME, they've got more access than God in the sports world. So, you know, if that's not our pitch and, you know, at some point, a creator might not care if it was started by a creator if they get you because WME is going to bring you 10 times the access, right? So we had to figure that out. So we actually created a framework, and I think this is going to be super valuable for creators. It's, it's a level system. So level zero, you're just starting. You don't really have much going on. Level one is where you finally have an audience. You finally are at the stage of, like, brand deals. You are, you've got a little, like, publicity to you. So, like, people might know who you are. Um, but level two, this is the framework that we figured out that's going to differentiate. And that's the building business. That's building community. That's launching products for our creators. That's taking them from people seeing your views on TikTok to you're in like the social realm of things. So I'll give you an example. Kenny Beecham. I've told you about mm -hmm. Kenny before. So Kenny went on first take the other day. That is like a level two process. Like when a non-traditional front wants to bring a creator into that world. WWE brings Logan Paul into that world. Mr. Beast goes on a podcast that wasn't traditionally for creators. So it's tough to get to that level too, but 
we finally have an understanding of like how we elevate our current clients or potentially new clients. And that's where every creator is going to need to go to be super successful. So it was cool, like fine tuning that and, and planning that out. How do you actually convey that message outside of my, my mindset or, uh, immediately goes to like a lot of differentiation nowadays just literally goes to distribution. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can do the same thing as 10 other agencies, but if you're someone with a bigger following, mm -hmm. you automatically win the distribution. Like you can, as a creator, as a brand, as a company, you could differentiate in a million ways. Yeah. It could literally be like your customer service is amazing. And yeah. that is a differentiator. It could be, you have a YouTube channel with a really large following. That's a differentiator. And I feel like more and more you're seeing the really successful ones typically take the path of distribution as their differentiator because they, everyone wants to say their message, right? Yeah. But like, if you have, if you're the one that gets to say your message to 500,000 people relative to the one guy who gets to say it to 2,500 people, like mm. you're going to win that every time just from a pure numbers game. My mindset for you goes to like, just like any business, like you almost need to be made, like this content mm. is probably good for staff. Yeah. Assuming that like we eventually get to volume and scale and stuff yeah. like that, like yeah. that will come back to your agency in a million ways because they're going to be younger creators that are like, oh, Jack's, been here jack's talking about this like mm -hmm. jack can help me get to that next level so are you guys thinking about like distribution of that actual message so i think we'll think about it more in a one-to-one -one and like a prove it model because we're not trying to scale up like the level zero creators right now like we're we we have signed them before and we'll trim our roster and we want people who have gotten to a certain point we don't want like i'll do this content to help creators get there yeah. right and teach them consistency thumbnails best practices stuff like that but i can't sit there and and like curate someone's entire creator career but if you've gotten there and you are and gatorade is interested in you and puma is interested in you that stuff's great but we're gonna help you go from there to you're gonna build your own business you're and and so that, you're like you're you're niching down on like the level ones that want to get to level two. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. We'll still do level one because that, I mean, it's money. Like we need money to make the business go. And it essentially turns us into like a VC fund, almost incubator to a degree where mm -hmm. we have to see it out over the span of 24 months, five years. So without that level one stuff, like we wouldn't exist as a company. So we won't cut that. And we'll still, we'll still do deals for people we don't even represent because it'll make us money. We'll do events that it all kind of plays back in. But from a distribution standpoint, no, I don't think we're going to like attack content super hard. We need to, because if we can scale three creators to level two and show that, then when we go pitch anyone in that, in the sports creator world, it's like, hey, we took this person from here to here. And it's less like screaming into, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Yeah. I wonder if though, like, because your, your like product or how you make money is like high ticket products, right? Like yeah. rather uh, as opposed to like our company where it's, we're making money via volume, right? Like yeah. fucking 5,000 signups or whatever, yeah. selling draft guides, 5,000, whatever. You guys are like, I almost feel like it's an easier way because you only actually need to hit on three to five yeah. people, three to five clients or whatever. So yeah. I wonder if there is a content play, which is almost super simple. Like you're almost just recording like the calls that you have with, yeah. you know, the, the, your current clients or something like that. And like show the breakdown of how you would speak to them, show the breakdown of the way you should be thinking about partnerships and the new partnerships that you're bringing along for them and how you'd be like, this is better for your brand versus this, this yeah. is like what they're offering or whatever. Because I think if that resonates with like three people, that's that's big, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. It's that to me is like a little bit of the Gary Vee model, which is like document the, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. the business of it. And we're going to have, I don't want to call it a playbook, but essentially we'll sit down with each client. It'll be a brainstorm. We'll learn what they want to accomplish. Then our internal team will create a playbook that we then need to go execute on yeah, for I think the that's client. Cool. Like I think if you and, videotape yeah. that and literally like put it on Twitter or yeah. like you, even if you made a separate YouTube channel that has zero yeah. fucking subscribers, but you like tweet it like, Hey, you know, we worked with our first client here. I, I think a lot of people would want to see that. Yeah. Like I would watch that. Like I, th yeah. I think a lot of the, it's your, funny. the right it's, audience would watch that. It's like, I would almost label it as like, I wouldn't, but you could almost label it as private and send it to like the people you want to see it. Yeah. Uh, potential, you know, clients you're recruiting. It's actually exactly how I've always thought about podcasting. 
is there it's two games one if you can reach mass volume then you've got enough listenership or viewership to to sell you know at a 15 dollars cpm to a brand you really like or you know you do a podcast but it's and if 100 people listen it matters like who that 100 people are and that's kind of in that in that realm more and more i think the way the world is working is the the latter yeah. I, I think you need to be very specific with what you're doing and stop being like all over the place and hoping people resonate with every part of you. Yeah. And if you could speak to like such a specific audience member, which is why I'm like, it's good that you guys are like, we're looking at level one people that want to turn into level yeah. two people. And I've been thinking about this a little bit more in our business too, with some of the things that we've been doing, but I, I absolutely think that's the right way to go about ironically scaling, you know, even if like that yeah. little niche is not, well, necessarily it's funny. Yet. This podcast is kind of the same way. Like we don't want it to be like the Nelk podcast where a million people are just listening to who, whomever talk. Like we actually are focused on a targeted subset, right. uh, which once you niche down, then you have less opportunity and people would be like, well, you're limiting yourself, all that. But once again, we could record this podcast for five years. If a thousand creators listen if one of them turns into a client for the agency that's why we don't need to sell brands into this as we don't need sponsorship into this i don't necessarily have the direct kind of, i mean even people are editing like clips for us right that is almost that's our value is mm -hmm. by getting them to do that yeah I, it, it's it's cool too when you do end up speaking to a specific audience because you know even if we get to a point from now like a year from now we have a thousand people watching per episode which i think would be pretty fucking cool honestly yeah. we could be like hey we're putting together like a, a creator workshop for 12 people here in new york yeah that would be like pretty electric i think that would be like cool if it was just like a weekend thing or even it was like one night thing yeah. at like a, a bar or like we rented out a place or something like that i think that sort of depth gives you the permission to do real life in-person things and then from there, you can kind of do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to differentiate, but I think defining your audience is probably the best way to do it because when people hear yeah. like what you're going for, they're like, oh, that is me. You know yeah. what I mean? Rather than And it gives you confidence. And it's something as a creator, you should totally know what you're trying to achieve. And the last couple of years, a lot of people were chasing stuff. They were chasing virality. They were chasing NFT money. They were chasing flipping houses. Like everyone was, ch they got distracted. I was very much involved in the distraction. So getting the agency on like a, a vision was so, so important for us. But uh, you want to talk about viral stuff and, and stuff that is, is very TikTok-y. I was at the Snap Creator Summit, or Snap, I think it was just the Partner Summit, but they brought out like 100 creators for it, David Dobrik probably being the most notable. And I'm in the Snap monetization beta whatever where every six or eight stories i post i get paid a cpm similar to youtube i make anywhere from like 30 to 80 bucks a day it's not worth my time quite to post 100 to 200 times like some of the other creators are but i started asking creators because snap has been pushing this stuff like mm -hmm. This is the new platform. And honestly, it is really cool that you can just post stories and monetize for it. Like you go on Instagram, you post stories, you have to sell brands into that because they're selling stories in between like mine and yours. Yeah. And neither of us get compensated for it. Non neither of us get compensated for in, in feed stuff either. So YouTube and, and Snap now are really the only platforms who are doing that. But I knew I was making like, and I have 108,000 subscribers, anywhere from 10 to 20,000 viewers per snap. So I was like, if I'm only making 40 bucks a day, like who is making this money? So I talked to some people. I'll leave, I won't like specify who, but one person I talked to is posting, yeah, like 50 to 100 times a day. They get about 100,000 views per and they're making like a thousand bucks a day. So they'll now go, which is like $356,000. How many days are in the year? Uh, did I do I'm this again? It's 365. Correct. 365,000. I was saying Life they took nine days, nine days off. So they make $365,000 a year. Now this program's new and, and it'll get diluted. But just by posting what they're doing. So they can, and I think it's cool because... They could rationalize going to the Knicks game for 500 bucks last night, posting 100 times, knowing that that content's going to perform better than them just posting their dinner 
and being like, I now I'm going to make money there. So that's someone who makes a hundred, who has a hundred thousand views. Dobrik and some of the other creators, they are like, I know for a fact they're making 10 to $20,000 a day. Yeah. That it's, it's, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, we've talked about this before. Like dilution here is going to come hard and fast eventually. Not okay. But let me say this. Not as fast as creator funds. And the reason this works different than a creator fund is because as long as advertisers want to be in those ad spaces, it's not a suck. It's it's like there will continue to be money there. When you start with $100 million in the creator fund, if I make a video and I take a dollar, you make a video, you take a dollar, yeah. it's a race to the bottom. This, as long as advertising continues, now that's the question. Right, the, di- How value the dilution work. goes down, yeah, because yeah. like there will be a breaking point where like something gets exposed where it's like we're not making any money, Correct. no way that we want to be advertising. Yeah, and I, I don't think the Snap advertisers probably are are as convertible as maybe their, their initial spend is, but for now, you know, Dobrik, who was a huge YouTuber, he's like, instead of spending all that time recording, editing, planning, like I can just post stories all day long, but now, I do. But I do quality of content right, is a whole like different. When discussion. it do, does finally get diluted, and you're like, ah, I need to go back to make money, then it's yeah. like you kind of stop focusing on the thing that really brought you brand loyalty that yes. that built you an audience and everything. So I, again, it goes back to the line of, of value versus you know value for me versus value for you. And I think yeah. as a creator, you should always be thinking fifty one forty nine in terms of the yeah. audience. You should be thinking more than that. It yeah. should be ninety five five. You know what I mean? Like I think hopefully what I I'm rooting for is you know we're gonna go film a YouTube video tomorrow. We're gonna plan for it. We're gonna strategize thumbnail. We've got a theme. We've got sub themes. We've got right this whole plan. I'm hoping that that could just transfer into like a vertical, right? So instead, <laughs> Dobrik is like, all right, I'm going to the Knicks game tomorrow. I'm going to capture this. I'm going to review the food. I'm going to like build a mini YouTube video in the Snap story. But once it becomes more complicated like that, people people just love the ease of it. Like I could snap something and counts as one towards the six I need to get to. Yeah. And, it, and it's... It is a cool system. Yeah. It is. And, it's and, very... and if I was one of those creators, I would run that shit dry oh, for as long as... I, I see why. It's I like w- addicting. It's gamified. It's like it's got like all the pieces you to it. You post these trash thumbnails that people like or last tiles or what they call it. But yes, it, it will run out. And my advice is to creators, don't chase it because it is... Even me who, like I said, I have actual audience there... I'm not making enough money to, if I just posted on Snap, I wouldn't even make enough money to sustain like a career. So if you're just starting out, you're not going to get into that category right now. So don't chase it. You need to have a huge audience for that to be like sustainable or worthwhile time-wise. But if it is, could you imagine? Uh, I I do like to. Life would be so easy. Yeah. Sometimes I do like to think about the ridiculousness of it, but also how cool it is for those creators to just, they go he was saying, like, I know that if I go to Coachella, right, like, he's an introvert. He likes staying at home. But if he goes and does something fun, he's going to make even more money. It's just a, a crazy concept. A good spot to be in yeah. for about 13 people. Yeah, exactly. That, that's the big thing. You got to hammer that is, is it's not it's not relatable. It's really not. Do we want to jump into Q? Do we want to? Yeah, let's do Q&A. Okay. Yeah. Tommy asks from last week. What skill is more paramount for a creator starting out? And he gives five options. Storytelling, ability to educate, convey information succinctly, charisma, relatability, having having a friend's dad be an absolute force in the industry that you <laughs> want to move that. into. That's funny. Um, <laughs> that actually probably is the answer. Get you far. Uh, what skill is more paramount for, for a creator starting out? Storytelling, ability to educate succinctly, charisma, relatability. What would you say? It's so funny. I, I was like, ooh, story time. And then he went to next the next one. one. I was like, that like, one. That yeah. one. It's coming next. <laughs> okay. Let's let's rank them. So I would say I think charisma is the lowest for me. Yeah. I think there are a ton of creators that I watch and I'm like, this is so dry, but yeah. like I'll watch your videos because they're very informative. Yeah. yeah. So charisma would be number four for me. Uh it's relatability, ability to educate, storytelling. I think for me, relatability would probably be three yeah i don't think relatability is too important there's value in relatability but it's not where i would start there's value in all of them i think when i'm when we're speaking to like the people that we're speaking to in terms of like starting to be a creator 
I think relatability and storytelling comes into play. I mean, storytelling is obviously a big factor in today's world yeah. where you want to uh, separate yourself. But I think for me, ability to educate, convey information succinctly would be my number one, depending on where you want to go, I guess. Yeah. You know, storytelling could be like your creative outlet, and that will obviously be the most important thing if that's all you, it's all you want from content. So. I think storytelling, you might be thinking like, more intricate stories that's not how i think of storytelling it really is like just do it it almost is combined with telling information succinctly or delivering value I mean, like using experiences from your life basically. not even not even like sto- like when i think about what the act of storytelling is it's really taking you from point a to point b in an interesting way so that doesn't necessarily mean you need to draw from personal experience. It doesn't mean that it needs to be super interesting along the way. It just really means like, okay, I'm starting here and I'm going to get to here and I'm really good at, it's almost like keeping you engaged throughout. Yeah. So, yeah. So I guess it's like the ability to educate, convey information succinctly, kind of like that, but with yeah. a more informational value spin on it then yeah i would almost argue that like the best creators are the best storytellers so maybe being a storyteller is number one and what makes them a great storyteller is that they deliver value succinctly i I think you i I actually now that i think about it like if you go to if you go on youtube and you're looking how to you're trying to figure out how to do something right you're looking for like a how-to there's always like this gap and it's like you could just tell the creators that have experience on YouTube yeah. where you look at the top video and it might have 150,000 views and then you might look at the one under it that has like 3,000 views and you go to it and you could just tell they're not that good at storytelling. They might have yeah. some really good information, but you could just tell like- They the might way, have better information. Right. The way they're presenting themselves just feels like you're not as experienced as a creator because you do have to combine the two in order. I think a lot of those things like relatability and charisma- Yeah can help you separate to, like, a high level of talent. You know what I mean? Like, I I think the first two will take you 95% of the way in terms of what your goals are. If your goals are to be, like, an all-time great creator and one of the most impactful people ever, you need to have all four of those. But we've said, like, Mr. Beast's (laughs) charisma is is not not top of the line. Let's Let's use fantasy as an example. Everyone, for the most part, like, has the same information. Like, your info might be a little better than the next guy or a little bit worse, but your storytelling is what completely separates you from, you know, everyone else. And and I think it's, that's just, I would go storytelling one. Yeah, I, I guess I, I agree with that more now. I think back in the day when I first started, I was really honed in on the fact that, like, I did my research and I was like, I'm putting out, like, really good yeah. information, which you still need to do in order to get to, like, the bare minimum of having people listen to you and actually want to come back to, to what you're saying. But the ability of combining the storytelling with the ability to educate, and I think my charisma probably goes yeah. a long enough way because of the industry that I'm in. But, like, general sports media, I think most people have a lot of charisma in yeah. that. I think in fantasy, it's a lot of older demographics where it's, like, People are so honed in on just the information and they're not as good of, of giving it away to you and they're not as like excited about it and stuff mm-hmm. and haven't really figured out their their like golden spot there. Um, so, yeah, so for me, I would, I would definitely go... I think I would still put the ability to educate as one and then storytelling is like a very tight two. Yeah, it depends where you are in, in your career. But, yeah, like if you're just starting off as a fantasy analyst, you just got to deliver a shit ton of value. You got to be better than... You probably got to outperform Matt Berry, right? Like Matt yes. Berry... His path is he delivered the most value. Now he's an incredible storyteller. He's not the best fantasy analyst in the world anymore. No, I I agree with what you just said right there. I think when you're when you're starting out, in order to like break through, you actually have to be better than like the best people. Yeah, and you have to be doing like you're doing it at a level where no one's watching you. Yeah, but that's like the only way. You can't be at you can't perform at the level that you're at. You know what I mean? Like you can't perform at a 10 subscriber level if yeah. you want to grow. Like you have to perform at a million subscriber level like attitude-wise and energy-wise in order for you to actually try to get there, you know? Yeah. Dress for the job you want. Yes. People say. Speaking of jobs, Carter asks, when it comes to hiring people, what are you looking for? People who have done internships, high GPA, people with a lot of connections and et cetera. What is the most important thing for someone to have? I think we're probably on the same page here with this. What is it? High GPA for sure. <laughs> Number one priority. It is so funny. You know, I actually posted on Snap the other day because I think it said 56% of Americans are favoring not going to college anymore over going because they don't view it as worth it. And, you know, people started saying, well, it is worth it. It's not. And I'm like, 
I didn't look at a single resume for the for the people that I've hired. Alex is the worst mathematician in the world, like can't understand numbers, and we work in an industry of numbers. So what do you look for? It obviously is going to depend on what we're hiring for, but overall is providing value early on. And I think we're going to get similar to how we think content is going to like hit specific audiences. We're going to get in very skill-based career world like i think it's yeah i think it just goes back you want a video edit edit like do the thing you're trying to get hired for i'll take someone who's doing the thing that they're that i'm trying to hire for over the dude who tells me that he could do the thing i'm yeah he's trying to hire for it but i do think then so it's like i would stack skills that's how i would look at it i would almost look at it as like that stupid feature on linkedin where you can endorse people like if I wanted to get hired for Snapback Sports as a video editor, like I would fucking crush video editing. But then after I'm good there, then I would add like photo editing for thumbnails. Photo chops, the, yeah. And then I would add uh, content strategy. Like I would study content and I would come to the table with strategy. Then all of a sudden, like I'm not even being used for my content uh, editing anymore, just for my strategy. And that's how you like move up. I like that. I think learning hard skills uh is so important in today's world because like everybody wants to just like help out and be general like oh i love sports it's like everybody loves sports like i don't i mean it's great to have flexibility it's great to have flexible people but those like the reason they're not flexible because they're not good at anything so you're like ah we could teach them anything it's like they're flexible because they're good at a lot of different hard skills you know it's like if you come to the table and know these 10 different things then i could use you in a million different ways but But i'd rather you uh, dominate one first for the majority of people oh 100 like figure out what it is you want to do and actually do it like yeah. you know i've used this phrase a million times but it's like how do i become a content creator by creating content what do you mean it's like <laughs> you it, it, what these platforms do what what the internet does nowadays is literally provide you a place to make your portfolio mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's not like you're not waiting for someone to give you the opportunity to make a portfolio you literally are going out of your own way to do it so you want to be a graphic designer design shit you want to be a video editor edit videos you want to be a content creator fucking shoot videos you know yeah. figure out the rest all right carter so get to fucking stepping <laughs> kelsey when people ask you what is your job what do you say so that is actually very relevant coming off this last week because on Monday I was a co-founder. On Tuesday <laughs> I was like it was just Alex and I talking through the agency. So I'm a co-founder. On Tuesday when the whole company was there out there, four of us, um, <laughs> I was we don't I don't have a title, but like president. Like Alex is the CEO, so I'm the president. I'm setting strategy. I'm not the co-founder that day. Like Alex is taking our vision and like executing it and teaching it to our people. On Wednesday, I was a creator, but also Snapback Sports. I'm the CEO and and I'm leading the media company that also works within Snap. And then on Thursday, I was back to being a creator, but also networking for the agency. So So when you're around other (laughs) creators, you're a creator? Yeah. But I, I'm really not a creator. Like, I was joking to Alex because they sat me with, mm-hmm. you know, Dobrik and magicians. And, and it's <laughs> like, I, I'm really not. I don't know. I, we're all creators in our own right, but I'm not like a, I'm not a clout creator. That's for sure. That's just not my, not my that job. That is all you are. <laughs> not, <laughs> it's uh, not my stuff. It's a really difficult question to answer. Mostly yeah. just because I don't like how most buzzwords like are used in society nowadays. You yeah. know, I would never, uh, I, I guess I've used creator before, but I don't think I'd introduce myself as a creator. For a long time, I just said I was, I was in marketing. And then yeah. if we like got deeper into the conversation, I would explain yeah. a little bit more. A lot of times I'll just be like, I make videos about like sports or whatever, and then dive in a little bit more from there. Don't think I've ever introduced myself as like a founder or someone who runs a business or like I would <laughs> never say entrepreneur, never in my fucking wildest dreams. But you are. Yeah, but the the problem with it is, is like the way that comes. Like if someone, I'm, you know, I, it's funny. I look at it as like if someone said that to me, that would be the first thing I'd be like, oh, you're not an entrepreneur. <laughs> if you tell me you're an entrepreneur, that's like the telltale sign that I know you're not. The funniest probably. part is the way I look at you is actually as a business person and a creator second. But uh, you, I think, visualize yourself as a creator because you talk about like how creating is your outlet. Yeah, it's so interesting. You look at me as a business person first? Yeah. 
Interesting. An awful one, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking about that. Like, I think... No, like, I really don't think of you as a creator. Interesting. Like, for example, when you are... When you're doing your YouTube videos, because... Like, I don't think of you as a creator. I think of you as knowing that content drives your business, which maybe I'm just projecting because that's how I think of my stuff is like a lot of why I create is to open doors or to build our business. I didn't go like I didn't go. Everyone was like, oh, Snapback Mondays, like you got all those views on TikTok and you went viral. And it's like I didn't go to do that. Any for any reason other than like I knew we were going to make money and was going to like grow the brand. It wasn't so that I could. And so Alex, you know, our pitch, our next pitch, the NFL is probably going to be something along the lines of like being the face of NFL snap in some version. That's a very like creator brand clout thing. But the only reason I would do it is because I know what that would mean on the back end. And I feel like you do all this to drive the back end, which is you spent the last 30 minutes talking about how being good at selling. That's really what creating is, is, is not selling. Well, I was thinking about it. Like there are so many things that I'm, I've been successful business wise. I actually genuinely have thought about this a lot recently. Like I don't think I'm good at it. I think, I I think there's, (laughs) I think I've left so much opportunity on the table and not in like the, oh, you know, I've learned from my mistakes kind of thing. Just been like, I yeah. think I might actually legitimately be bad at this. Like I think <laughs> well, about there's that. imposter syndrome. You're not bad at it. You're not the best at it. I'm not either. I think that's part of this journey is like we're in the upper percentile, but we're still not the best business people in the world. I think a really, a really good way to look at it is what direction would you go for like how Barstool did it, right? Because well, Dave's good at business, very good at business. But he is a like he gets the content of it, which drives the business. Yeah. But he's not a CEO. Yeah. Like correct. they needed Erica to go to that next level. Well, let me ask you this. I think I would go CEO route. Like if, if Snapback just like died tomorrow and you were never allowed to work on it yeah. again or whatever. I would not create content. Okay. Or, I would. So, the that, first thing I would do is I would be making videos every day, probably. Right. And no, I wouldn't I wouldn't do the YouTube stuff if it didn't. Would you like try a startup? Like you would try to like start something with yeah. someone? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like I would go the complete opposite direction. Yeah. All right, well, there we go. That's I think that's a good way. And like Pat McAfee is at this crossroads, same thing. He's probably not the best business person. He seems, Even if he is for me, a great, he's a podcaster, not a right. business guy. Even if he is a good business person, it's clear. He needs a CEO who's going to operate his business so that they don't lose their deal with FanDuel or that they get the ESPN deal or whatever it might be. Yeah, okay. So going back to the question, when people ask you what your job is, what do you say? I actually think, and this might be like my insecurity speaking, but yeah. I will say different things depending on the audience. Yeah. Depending no, on I, who's I asking think, me, where I am, you know, who I'm speaking to. Is that insecurity or that's more like I label it based on the conversation? Like I think I could so. be confident enough in myself to be like I'm, I run a, uh, I run a sports media company. Well, you, you literally do, just to give you a heads up. <laughs> that's what I mean. Like yeah. I could say that, but there's a lot of me that's just like. Oh, uh, I feel you. You know what I mean? There's a lot of me that's just like. I've people just who started, say those things like are usually not the people who actually do that shit. Well, no, I where mine comes from is if you were to say like I run a sports media company. To me, anytime someone says it and I haven't heard of their thing, I'm like, like, what do you have? Like an Instagram account? Exactly. Like, you know, that's where my but, mind goes. But I've now started saying it. I guess to speak it into fruition, like that's what I'm saying. Like, I do I could run say a sports. I, should. Me- yeah. I, I really do. It is a sports media company, but it isn't. Over time, it's not Barstool. It's not ESPN. It sounds crazy. Yeah, it. for me, it sounds crazy to say I run a sports media company rather than being like I make videos about sports. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. maybe set the expectations low and over deliver. Yeah. That's kind of the way. No, I, I feel that. that. I feel that. How do you balance your personal life and professional life? If your response is I have no personal life, is there any part of your lifestyle that you regret, or do you ever feel like something is missing? I'll give credit to Hallie. She helps me balance it by allowing me to do more for, you know, what I consider work. And then when I'm back, you know, I'm only here for 48 hours and I'm here recording content. We're filming content all day tomorrow and then I'm gone for the next week. So imagine thinking you're not a content guy. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So for me, like my partner helps me, enables me to, you know, work as much as I do. How do I balance it? I want to say it's not too tough and the stuff I want to be doing. Like, I was in New York the past six weeks 
and it was great. I got dinner with friends, and but like I'm good. I'm I'm good. I don't. I really, you know, I was with someone yesterday. It was like I I want to go. Well, out. Like you know I got to go out I, every Friday you know what I night. Think I'm this like question maybe like comes from the back of it's like when you see a lot of people that like do what we do. You ex- you assume their life is like crazy and exciting yeah. and stuff like that. And there definitely are you know things that get unlocked based on yeah. you know your network or whatever it is but like we also probably live a relatively boring life like if if you actually yeah. broke it down on like what you do on a nightly basis or what you do throughout the week and it's not always like oh i'm out filming stuff oh i'm out partying oh i'm out yeah. to dinner like and you could do that living in new york obviously but i think a lot of it goes back to like balancing your personal life and professional life is easy when you do something you enjoy but also i i think i have a lot more time in my personal life than I did when I was a little bit younger and starting to grind. But there's also the aspect of like, I enjoy what I'm doing. And more importantly, if the personal side, like what I enjoyed doing when I was younger from a personal standpoint was a lot of like going out and partying, Mm -hmm. but I enjoy my professional life more, I think than my personal life now. So I'd rather not have the negative effect of that part, like pour into this a little bit, I guess. It's a give and take. I commit to playing in a softball league with, with my friends and it's been so fun. The next four weekends, I probably can't go. Like, I, I just won't be here. I'll be on the road. So what's the balance is, like, accepting that I'm only going to be able to be there half the time. But I am going to schedule stuff around that when I am here so that I can have a little bit of a, a personal life. I also think that, like, at the end of the day, like, I, I say this a lot. Like, making content for me is a way for me to express myself. But for you, like, both of us, Building the business is also, you might not think of it this way, but you're expressing yourself through the way that you build your business, yeah. the way that you want to promote your brand, the people that you bring onto the team. Like you're expressing yourself through that. And I think a lot of that comes from your personal life. Yeah. So when you're dipping into your personal life and doing things in your personal life, it might not seem like it because it might have nothing to do with sports, but you might get inspired through your friends. You might get inspired. Mm-hmm. Like it reminds you of who you are and reminds you of like the passion that you had when you started the entire thing. Yeah. So like going out and doing things that are not related to your professional life, but your, I think your personal life does actually help dictate, maybe subconsciously, ways that you express yourself professionally. I'm very fortunate to where my personal life is also my professional life. And when I'm out to dinner with Alex, <coughs> who's my friend, and we start talking business, it's because that's what I genuinely enjoy talking about yeah. in my personal Like, I, I'm engaged. I don't need to be talking about, you know, hooking up with girls and getting drunk at the bar. Like, that's not my personal life. Yeah. My personal life is being engaged, is being is running a business, is talking about the Knicks, which also plays into the business. Knicks are so back. Job's not finished. Love that. Job is testing you. Yeah. I like that we both went blue today. Yeah, I was we, wearing my New York basketball shirt yesterday. We look good. They look good. It looks kind of sloppy to start the game straight. I mean, everyone looks sloppy. The Cavs scored 79 points. But if the Knicks win a championship, that's also a a blend of personal and business. Like, yeah, that would be great for my business, but I genuinely just enjoy going to the games and talking about the Knicks. You want to Cleveland next week? I'm going to Wednesday, yeah. Hopefully the closeout game. We will see. What do they they play on Sunday? They play tomorrow at 1. Mimosas. What are you doing for the game? Are you going to get Momos? We're so we're filming. Casey and I are doing. Oh, right. oh you're going to the game. Yeah, That's right. we're doing Knicks versus Cavs. So we're going to do five categories. Compare the two. What I have learned in our six YouTube videos is if we're forcing content, like Kansas Casey, I thought it was hysterical because I know him. But a lot of people are like, you don't showcase the experience as much as like making a mockery of it. And and we could do like some big thing tomorrow, like sleeping in Madison Square Garden between game three and four. Like, but really, I just want to show like what the difference is between going to a Knicks playoff game and a Cavs playoff game. We got to keep it entertaining throughout. But I don't want to feel like I'm forcing content, like sneaking onto the court. You know, that's just not our content. Yeah. But no. capturing the energy, like outside MSG last night was, was hilarious. Inside, like you like see it through the camera. Almost. Yeah, it was, it's nuts in there. It's yeah, nuts. dude. It was like, a, I was watching it. I was like, it, it's like the energy of the, uh, I don't know, the way the crowd moves, it actually looked like it was a jungle inside. Like there it, was just no control of anything. Last night's game didn't have like that pop moment because the Cavs scored 70 points and yeah. we blew them out. The national anthem, the energy was ridiculous. Like, you know how normally it's like, and the, and people are like, let's go next. And then it dies down. People were shouting through the entire thing. 
And it's one of those experiences in sports that, like, if you can get into the garden for a playoff game, you don't have to like sports to I went, get it. Yeah, I went. Le- I think I went with you yeah, last year to yeah. the playoff game, and like, it's so unfortunate when it's like, like they didn't have the pop moment that that yeah. game. They obviously yeah. lost, so it was like yeah. bad. But like, you're so waiting on it, you know. And it, it's annoying because like other teams get that, but yeah. like they don't deserve. Like their fans don't deserve <laughs> yeah. it the way that like the people at yeah. MSG are going crazy. Funny enough, in game two of that series, the OBI yeah, yeah. was the pop moment, and that's like everything you want. Like it's really a release. Yeah. Like it back it is, to the yeah. sperm of, of horses. <laughs> like it is your it is it. your maximum release. All right, well, we've maximum released. We've got nothing left in the chamber at this point. Uh, We've talked our sperm. We've talked everything. As we said in the beginning, please share if you find this valuable. If you think someone in your life will find this valuable, that is all we can ask of you. Subscribe to the channel if you're new, and we will see you back here next Monday. Until next Who was it? <coughs> Whoa. It was me with a hat on. <laughs> I just realized. That's what I sounded like this morning. Like, between the allergies and my the dryness of my apartment, I wake up in the morning and it's just like. Why is your apartment dry? It's you... so dry. It's the most poorly built apartment of all time. How'd you open a window? Because then the allergies. <laughs> you, can't cook. you can't escape. Yeah, no, it's it's a nightmare situation. <laughs> and then in my, um, <clears throat> in my like office, which is a flex wall, it's even less air circulation because it wasn't built to have air like in that specific area. That's tough. Yeah, kind of like in here, honestly. Not Why? being able to crack the windows. Is there bad air airflow? I mean, there's no airflow. Yeah, but it's bigger, so there's more space and less carbon monoxide. More room for bad air. Yeah, that's true. Swallowed up in here. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I don't like about this place is the fact that we can't crack the windows. Wait, why? S- why can't you? It Didn't just, you used to? No. No? No. I'd be a problem on this block if we could crack the I'd be yelling at people all the time. Most of my day would be spent sitting by the window just, like, doing things. <laughs> That's it. It's all. It's really all I want. It's all. All I ever want in my apartments are just like a street access, so I could yell at people. I don't know how to act anymore. What now do you that mean? now that our episodes get like a thousand views per, it's like thought I wasn't <laughs> going to start the episode off with that. No, it's just, how we're viral creators. Yeah, exactly. It's like no, it's just embarrassing. You're like Brad Pitt. You put all your life into you know doing movies, and you just have less viewership than the big content podcast. For in what? We're four-digit viewers. Yeah, but what are you saying has less than that? Brad Pitt. Like, you're telling me some of his movies do more than a 1,000 views? (laughs) There's no way.